And if we've got a problem out there, we need to hear about it. Oh, you're hearing about it now. Maricopa County recorder Adrian Pontes. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, who is far too often right again. That's all I'm saying. I'm just (laughs) right again. Voters are heading to the polls for Tuesday's primary elections in Arizona and Florida and primary runoff elections in Oklahoma. So far, not so good in Arizona, particularly in Maricopa County, which is the Phoenix area and the most populous county in the state by far. It's the major, uh, the first major election under the county's new county recorder, Adrian Fontes, who was a guest on this show a year or so ago after he unseated longtime Maricopa County recorder Helen Purcell who had been on the job for like 30 years there. Uh, She was uh, sent packing after she shut down a bunch of polling places, particularly in minority areas during the 2016 presidential primary elections. But not good news for voters in Maricopa County at this hour from the Arizona Republic. Tuesday's primary elections in Arizona kicked off with multiple reports of closed polling locations malfunctioning equipment and computers that were not set up. Maricopa County recorder Adrian Fontes addressed the widespread voting issues at a press conference on Tuesday morning. He said his staff would address as many problems as they could, but that some of the machines were still malfunctioning when polling places opened on Tuesday morning. He said, quote, I would be surprised if there were fewer than 100 polling places impacted. As of 10 a.m., at least four were still four polling places were still experiencing issues. 
Uh, and about 10 minutes ago before going on air here, Fontes tweeted that all sites were functional by 11.30 a.m. He said we will be providing additional information as soon as it is available. Fontes said his office became aware of the issues with the voting equipment on Monday when troubleshooters were testing at the polling sites. The contractor responsible for the voting machines, which the paper does not mention here, but uh, that would be Dominion Voting, who purchased the Sequoia Voting Systems company some years ago. And uh, it's a Canadian company. They uh, contract in uh, in Arizona. So the uh, contractor and I don't know if it was a subcontractor of Dominion, but in any event, uh, Fontes says that they were supposed to provide more than 100 technicians to assist with the issue, but only 70 were available, according to Fontes. The impact, uh, the impacted sites were the tra- traditional polling places, not the 40 bonus vote centers that were set up throughout the uh, valley in Phoenix, where any registered voter can cast a ballot, they don't have to cast at their own precinct. They can vote at one of these voting centers. Those apparently were still up and working today. But uh, to Fontes's credit here, he says, quote, this is not a hiccup. This is a serious concern where voters across Maricopa County couldn't get voting. Now, uh, that's one of my bugaboos, as you will uh, recall, oh, my, yes. you know, marginalizing these, minimizing these failures as hiccups, glitches, snags and snafus, as the media does uh, quite often and as the election officials often do. So happy to see that Fontes is not doing that. Maricopa uses hand-marked paper ballots tabulated by computerized optical scanners, either correctly or incorrectly, who knows, unless some humans decide to publicly hand count those paper ballots. So with the scanners down, I'm not sure why voters couldn't vote anyway uh, since they use paper ballots, uh, why they had to close polling places entirely. Uh, unless uh, two points. One, they also uh, could rely on electronic poll books. I'm not sure um, in uh, Maricopa County and without paper uh, poll book backups. If those systems go down, um, then nobody can vote at all. There's also I know they do use in Maricopa print on demand ballots that are printed right there in the polling place. Don't know if that's only for early voting and those voting centers or if they use them at each precinct. In any event, voters all across Arizona, uh, specifically Maricopa County, were unable to vote for hours in the uh, morning rush hour on Tuesday. Arizona Secretary of State Michelle Reagan called for the uh, county recorder in Maricopa to seek a court order to keep selected polling places open past the regular the planned closing time of 7 p.m., because of these uh, reported problems with uh, equipment failures and closed polling stations, um, she says that in light of the issues in Maricopa, the county should seriously consider asking Superior Court to have selected polling places uh, left open longer than 7 p.m. The county, as we go to air, is said to be considering that, talking with the county attorney about what they need to do. So... Once again, failures on Election Day with these stupid computers, uh, this time in Arizona. 
uh, Maricopa County. If we learn any more about these problems before tomorrow's show, whether they're uh, in uh, Arizona or in Florida or Oklahoma, if problems crop up there as well, we will let you know, along with uh, noteworthy results from races in each of those states. And remember, these problems are happening with the lower turnout midterm primaries. Imagine what could happen this November for the general election, not to mention the 2020 presidential race. Uh, as we always caution, it often takes time for problems at the uh, at the polling place and in the results tabulation to come to light. We've got a quick example. Well, an example I'm not going to have time to get to here because I've got my guest standing by. Uh, but uh, we got another example of that in uh, Nevada, which I will try to get to on an upcoming show. They, too, had problems in their primary back in June. And now we know what are we about two months later, at least that the problems were much, much greater than initially reported at the time. Uh, we'll try to get to that report from the Reno Gazette Journal in the days ahead. So that's what I mean, Des, about being right again. I, I take uh, no joy whatsoever in that. Yeah, but it also means buckle up, look ahead. It do. Um, all right. Well, speaking of looking ahead and looking <laughs> looking ahead to the crucial 2018 midterm elections just over 70 days from now in a ruling that was handed down just minutes before we went on air for yesterday's broadcast, uh, which we covered very briefly on the fly as it came out. A panel of three federal judges in North Carolina ruled on Monday that the state's U.S. House congressional map drawn by Republicans is an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander that favors Republicans and the court said it may require districts to be redrawn entirely before this November's election, which, as I said, are just now uh, just over 70 days away. Republicans currently hold 10 of the state's 13 seats in the in the U.S. House of Representatives. That in a state that is incredibly evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats. In 2008, for example, the state barely went to Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama at the time. In 2012, it barely went to Mitt Romney. In 2016, it reportedly went to Donald Trump by a slightly larger margin. But at the very same time, the statewide electorate elected a Democrat to replace their Republican governor. This is really one of the swingiest of swing states in the country. Nonetheless, despite that very close divide, the uh, Republican-drawn U.S. House map in place has resulted in 10 Republicans represented uh, representing the Tar Heel state in the U.S. House to just three Democratic House members. Something is terribly wrong there. A redrawn map, if it occurs before November or even before 2020, could result in at least two to three more Democratic members from North Carolina in the U.S. House of Representatives. That, of course, would be very helpful this year in the Democrats' quest to flip 23 GOP seats overall across the country to win back majority control of the U.S. House. The three-judge federal court panel in the North Carolina case acknowledged primary elections have already occurred this year in the uh, in the state. They were held back in May, 
But they said they were reluctant to let voting take place in districts that the court has now twice found to be unconstitutionally drawn. In such circumstances, U.S. Circuit Court Judge Jim Wynn wrote in the majority opinion, we decline to rule out the possibility that the state should be enjoined from conducting any further congressional elections using the 2016 plan, adding that the U.S. Constitution, quote, does not allow elected officials to enact laws that distort the marketplace of political ideas so as to intentionally favor certain political beliefs, parties or candidates and disfavor others. He said, quote, we continue to lament that North Carolina voters have now been deprived of a constitutional congressional districting plan and therefore constitutional representation in Congress for six years and three election cycles. The court has asked lawyers in the case to weigh in by Friday on what should happen next. In fact, the same decision was reached by this same court in January, but the U.S. Supreme Court declined in June to hear the case, and it was sent back for reconsideration by this court, which has now done so. The Supreme Court, for their part, has never ruled a partisan gerrymander to be unconstitutional, and it passed up three separate opportunities to do so in the last term including a case which found Wisconsin's entire state legislative map to have been a partisan gerrymander by Republicans, and a ruling finding that one U.S. House district in Maryland was a partisan gerrymander drawn by Democrats. The three-judge federal court decision on Monday could result in an election year appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. I would say it almost certainly will result in that which uh, following the uh, Anthony Kennedy's retirement as of the first day of August this year and the stolen seat vacated by Antonin Scalia in early 2016 before finally being filled in 2017 by Donald Trump's first nominee, Neil Gorsuch, that court is currently evenly split on ideological lines as it lacks a ninth justice to fill Kennedy's seat and to tip the scale one way or another. While the court traditionally does not approve of judicial actions so close to an, elect uh, to an election that it could affect the outcome of that election, the 4-4 split here on the U.S. Supreme Court could become key to what does happen next. Here to join us to discuss this case and what he thinks may happen next, and, by the way, a remarkable turn of events regarding the state Supreme Court in West Virginia that is getting little coverage, is our old friend Mark Joseph Stern, who covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, and LGBTQ issues, and many others for Slate.com. Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back to the broadcast. I hope you enjoyed your summer vacation from us since your flurry of appearances during the uh, June Supreme Court decision season, because those easy days may soon be over, my friend. <laughs> Those easy days never really arrived. Uh, uh, pleasure to be back on, and uh, I missed you almost every moment I was away, so I'm very happy to be here. You're very kind uh, to lie as much. Thank you. I had originally uh, <laughs> uh, hoped to talk to you about this crazy story in West Virginia, and we'll still talk about it, but this North Carolina case broke late Monday. It has shocked a lot of uh, court watchers for a number of reasons. This is the same case that previously resulted in this uh, in this lower court ordering new maps last January, which was certainly in plenty of time to draw new maps for this November. But it was 
appealed to SCOTUS uh, to the Supreme Court by the state, which then sent it back down to the lower court, uh, which has now decided on what basis had it been sent back down from the Supreme Court to the lower court. Yeah, so, I mean, the real villain here, in a sense, aside from the Republicans who obviously drew these incredibly gerrymandered maps, is the Supreme Court and Justice Anthony Kennedy, because, as you noted, uh, a virtually identical ruling came down in January, uh, at which point the U.S. Supreme Court could have and should have acted on this question of partisan gerrymandering, and as you noted, uh, had the opportunity to do so. Instead, the Supreme Court punted those cases, uh, sent this case back down for reconsideration. Now the court has reached the same conclusion it did in January. Indeed, the ruling is nearly identical, except for a few extra pages to clarify that the plaintiffs do indeed have standing to sue. Uh, And so we're on this incredibly compressed timetable where the election is looming. It's only about 70 days away, which is uh, just around the corner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ballots have not yet been printed, but they soon will be. Uh, And so you have this federal district court saying, we want new maps for this election. You have a short-staffed Supreme Court with only eight members that may or may not be able to block that lower court order, and we can discuss that more. Uh, And you have Republicans who are saying, absolutely not. We want to continue under the old maps that we drew so carefully to entrench our own power. The whole thing is an absolute mess, and it just didn't have to be because the Supreme Court, I think, really had a responsibility to sort out all of these issues in June, and it failed to do so, and that's why we're here now. When the court had originally sent this uh, back down, when the Supreme Court sent it back down uh, uh, to the lower court, uh, on on basically on some technical standing issues that they wanted the court to re-review. Uh, did anybody expect that the court would be able to turn this around so quickly from that uh, from that June directive uh, to to coming out with another ruling uh, here in where late August? Uh, not really. This is was a, a pretty surprising move. Uh, the general expectation after the Supreme Court kicked this case back down. Uh, is that the lower court would eventually reach the same conclusion, uh, but that it would either sit on it until closer to or after the election, uh, or it would issue a ruling and then say, by the way, we're putting this on hold for the election because we don't want to cause chaos. But obviously the court uh, did neither of those things. Instead, it came out with this decision yesterday, just so close to the November election, and said we are charging... Uh, full steam ahead here. We're going to figure out what we can do to impose new maps uh, for this upcoming election, even though the state has already had primaries. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's uh, an unlikely option. I think it is a noble option in a sense. This court is trying to make sense of the laws and deal with the facts on the ground when the U.S. Supreme Court refuses to. Um, but it leaves us with a lot of question marks and uh, not a lot of time to figure out all of these looming uh, issues that this court or the Supreme Court or both are going to have to deal with before November. I mean, I want to talk about the, uh, the time issue here and how the Supreme Court may deal with it. But uh, just on a substantive basis, Judge Wynn in his, uh, in his ruling wrote that the U.S. Constitution, quote, does not allow elected officials to enact laws that distort the marketplace of political ideas so as to intentionally favor certain political beliefs, parties, or candidates, and disfavor others. Um, 
Is that a settled matter in general, as far as the Constitution disallowing political favoritism in laws? Uh, is, is A, is that a settled matter? Uh, but more to the point here, if it is settled, is it just a settled idea that has not been yet applied to Supreme Court gerrymandering uh, or applied by the Supreme Court to uh, gerrymanders in particular? Yeah, so it is definitely a settled matter that the states um, may not target and disadvantage uh, certain individuals or certain voters based on the content or viewpoint of their expression or their associations, right? The First Amendment guarantees freedom of expression and freedom of association. And as a general matter, the state cannot penalize uh, a certain individual because she decides to express support for the Democratic Party uh, and affiliate with the Democratic Party. That is core political speech. Uh, and there's no clear reason why that rule, which is really a, a very settled principle, shouldn't apply to partisan gerrymandering with equal force. That is what's going on with partisan gerrymandering. You have uh, state map makers who are uh, slicing up the state along partisan lines and attempting to dilute the votes of certain citizens mm -hmm. uh, specifically because of their political association. That should be uh, totally prohibited under the First Amendment. Uh, but what we have here is a court, the, a Supreme Court that has said over and over again, we're not sure if we want to deal with this problem. We have not seen the U.S. Supreme Court ever come out and say, this is constitutional or this is legal. Instead, the court's conservative justices have said, we are afraid of adjudicating these disputes because we don't want to entangle ourselves in electoral politics. So the question is not just whether partisan gerrymandering is constitutional or not. The question is whether it's the kind of constitutional matter that our federal courts are equipped uh, and authorized to adjudicate. And that is where this partisan uh, ideological divide comes in. You have the, the conservative justices often saying, no, we don't want to deal with that, we don't want to entangle ourselves. And you have the liberal justices saying the exact opposite, saying this is the bread and butter of the federal judiciary. This sure. is an obvious uh, you know, suppression of free expression and association, and it is our duty to protect these voters. That is the divide on the court right now, and this lower court in, in ruling against the North Carolina maps clearly took the side of the liberal justices and said, you know what, the court has never said that we cannot wade into this dispute, so we are going to and we are going to strike these maps. And, and they are certainly not the first ones to have done so. As I mentioned, there was a similar case in Wisconsin uh, where Republicans gamed the uh, state legislative map. There was a similar case in Maryland where the Democrats in that case gamed one of the U.S. House districts. But the map in question in North Carolina was actually uh, the one that they're talking about throwing out right now in time for the uh, crucial midterms coming up in two months. Uh, that, that map itself was drawn in 2016. It had replaced um, the GOP's previous map, which was determined to be a racial gerrymander, which uh, Supreme Court has found unconstitutional. But this one replaced it uh, with what the court has now found twice to be a partisan gerrymander. And as you say, Mark, uh, the Supreme Court has never ruled one way or another on uh, whether partisan gerrymanders are unconstitutional. But either way, since the new maps were drawn after the 2010 census, 
uh, in North Carolina. So far, three of the five elections held in this decennial census cycle, uh, and it will be four out of five unless this has changed, uh, they have all been found essentially to have been drawn on unlawful or unconstitutional maps. I mean, no matter how this case is found, don't we have a real problem here with the drawing of U.S. House maps in that they're... Uh, legal or constitutional infirmity is not revealed until after elections are held on them and usually multiple elections before anything is is done. Uh, and if there is a problem, is there a solution to what seems to be this very serious problem that, uh, you know, we only see, tend to deal with once it's essentially too late? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a huge problem that North Carolina has not had a genuinely free and fair election this decade, uh, not only with regard to congressional districts, but with regard to state legislative districts, uh, a different federal court. Uh, also found that the state legislature was gerrymandered along racial lines. Uh, and the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, affirmed that decision as well. So really, from top to bottom, the districts in North Carolina on a federal and state level have been illegal in one form or another since the beginning of this decade. And all of the elections that have been held under them are, in some sense, at least contestable. Um, the NAACP has argued that the legislators... Uh, serving today in North Carolina are usurpers, that they have uh, a sort of illegitimate entrenchment of power uh, that they gained through these elections held under unlawful maps. And I think that is the sentiment that the federal district court here is responding to. You know, again, it would have been a normal course of action to just stay this decision and say, go ahead, hold elections under these unlawful maps, and we'll deal with it later. But the court is frustrated. The court is is, is exasperated because it said, we have had so many elections already that have not been free and fair, that have violated the Constitution. Why should we let you have another one? What's the problem? What's going on here? And, uh, and so, you know, there's, there's this sense that we can't trust the legislators to do the right thing anymore. You know, we're just done letting them play these games with us, always delaying, always running down the clock, drawing up these replacement maps that are just as bad as the old ones. And so, in fact, the court said, we're not even sure we're going to give legislators another bite at the apple here. We're not even sure if we're going to give them an opportunity to propose new maps. We might just take this uh, under our wing and deal with it ourselves and draw our own maps because you have proved incapable of doing this correctly. And uh, I want to take a break here uh, shortly so we have time to come back and talk about West Virginia and uh, specifically the uh, also the seating of uh, Brett Kavanaugh or the confirmation hearings for that seatings. But uh, last point on this uh, North Carolina matter for now, Um, if Trump's nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed to the already stolen GOP Supreme Court. He will likely side, it's believed, with the four Republicans uh, and therefore either let this map in North Carolina stand for another election or even worse, join with those four other Republican appointees and find that partisan gerrymanders are perfectly constitutional and the Supreme Court has no problem with it at all. Um, since the now-retired Kennedy was thought to have been the swing vote on that matter. But given the time element here, uh, if the state appeals, and I would think that's almost guaranteed, if they appeal this uh, lower court ruling um, to to, uh, the Supreme Court, can the Supreme Court even wait until the court has uh, been seated in October 
presuming that Kavanaugh is seated to the court, uh, will they have to decide even before Kavanaugh is seated, if he's seated, since ballots got to go out 45 days before elections uh, in order to overseas and military voters? That's the first part. And if they don't wait for Kavanaugh to be seated in October and the court remains split four to four, how, how can we expect the uh, Supremes to rule here? Yes, you're right that the Supreme Court cannot wait for Kavanaugh, um, because North Carolina is almost certainly going to file an emergency motion with the Supreme Court um, that basically says, stop this ruling right now in its tracks. And that has to be filed over the next couple of weeks, at which point Kavanaugh simply will not be on the court. Um, So North Carolina can't try to run down the clock this time around and wait for Kavanaugh. It's going to have to file this motion before Kavanaugh joins the court, if he does, and the court's going to have to decide it before Kavanaugh arrives. Uh, And so that leaves us with the possibility, a very likely possibility, I think, of a four-to-four split on the Supreme Court, in which four liberal justices decline to stay this decision, uh, and four conservative justices say they would stay the decision, and in the event of a stalemate, the lower court ruling stands. Uh, And so presuming the liberal justices band together and make this sort of their last act uh, before Kavanaugh joins the court, uh, where they can affect a liberal outcome, uh, I think they can ensure that these new maps do get created and, and do get put in place for the November election. But it's going to have to happen so quickly because the, you know, 70 days is not a lot of time. It's barely enough time. Yeah. Like you said, ballots have to be printed soon. They have not been printed yet because of other litigation involving other uh, chicanery by North Carolina Republicans, yep. but they're going to have to come out soon. So we are really at a crossroads and all eyes are on the Supreme Court as per usual. I, and, and presumably if they do redraw maps, then basically if, you, uh, if you're the uh, Republican or Democratic uh, uh, candidate from the, let's say, third district in North Carolina, then you'll run in whatever the third district ends up being after they redraw these maps, presumably? Well, <laughs> we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. Um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the court sort of teased Republicans in its decision because North Carolina Republicans abolished judicial primaries earlier this year uh, in an effort to screw over Democrats, essentially. And so the court yesterday said, well, you guys have already abolished one kind of primary. Well, maybe you can just abolish another kind and we'll hold a free-for-all election. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, there's going to have to be some kind of opportunity for candidates to drop out or, or put themselves into the race. Again, it's going to be messy, and it's all going to have to happen in the span of just a few wow. weeks max. Yeah, well, that's okay, because this was a pretty calm election season anyway. No uh, real excitement <laughs> going on. We could use some me- uh, a bit of mess. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, stand by. I want to take a quick break and come back to you, speaking of messes, to talk about this West Virginia Supreme Court story, uh, this putsch, this coup, these impeach, the impeachment of the entire West Virginia U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and get your thoughts on uh, Kavanaugh, if time, and what uh, is going to happen there as we barrel towards uh, his seating, his confirmation, and, yes, the midterm 2018 elections. Mark Joseph Stern covers the Law and the court system over at Slate.com. He'll stay with us for another second, uh, a segment. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Country roads take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia. Yes, sir. Mountain Mama. Mountain Mama. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. So what the hell is going on in West Virginia? Those are not my words. Those are the words of my guest, Mark Joseph Stern, writing over at Slate. Uh, he notes that two weeks ago, the states, uh, the state of West Virginia, their House of Delegates impeached the entire state Supreme Court on charges focusing on the justices' lavish spending on office refurbishments. Republicans uh, who led the drive to oust the entire bench insisted the court was irredeemably corrupt. He writes that many Democrats countered the GOP legislators were staging a coup to seize control of the state judiciary. One justice, Robin Davis, resigned rather than allow herself to be removed, proclaiming the impeachment push was a, quote, disaster for the rule of law and an attempt by the legislature, quote, to dismantle a separate branch of government. So what the hell is going on in West Virginia? Is this a judicial coup or is it a legitimate exercise of state legislative power by the GOP majority legislature in West Virginia? Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com is with us still. So, uh, Mark, what the hell is going on here, I guess, is the question for a start. So there are no good guys, per se, in this story, I have to warn you. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, in terms of moral clarity, this is not just another case of, of Republicans being evil and Democrats getting screwed over. Um, because the justices on the court right now, uh, they are not entirely blameless for what's going down in the state. Uh, the justices, unusual, in fact, unique among all 50 state Supreme Courts, uh, have total control over their own budget and their own spending uh, for now. That law will probably change soon. Uh, and it turns out that they kind of went hog wild with, uh, with this unlimited budget. They decided to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on office renovations, including a $32,000 couch, an $8,000 office chair, uh, just lots of money on stuff they probably didn't need. Uh, and in addition to that, two justices, uh, one Democrat, one Republican, uh, appear to have illegally used taxpayer money uh, in order to fund their own, uh, their own trips around the state and elsewhere. They used a state car and a state credit card uh, basically to fund their vacation. That is illegal. Uh, and the uh, spending on office furniture, while not illegal, is certainly unseemly in a state that has faced uh, continual budget shortfall. So let me let me get the uh, the math right here, because this is very confusing. Uh, in, in the state, in normal times, and correct me on if I'm wrong on any of this, Mark, but uh, it has a five-person 
Supreme Court, right? Which until uh, yeah. until all of this had actually leaned three to two in favor of Democrats. Now it's West Virginia, so Democrats aren't necessarily all that Democratic, but that was the math, three to two. Uh, and these are all elected justices. Now, two of the five have committed, as you said, uh, what seemed to be actual crimes. The other three spent a lot of money on remodeling their offices, um, though they're allowed to do so under state law. But even if one finds uh, office remodeling to meet the definition of an impeachable offense under the West Virginia state constitution, um, why has all of this come to light just now, suddenly, uh, just over 70 days, uh, or I guess about 80-something days when this happened uh, before the uh, midterm elections. Hasn't all of this been known for a while about the various corruption and or expensive office furniture habits of this, uh, this five-person court? Yes, and uh, I think that's a critical point here um, because all of this office renovation stuff, the excessive and lavish spending... That was revealed by local news uh, in West Virginia in 2017. Okay, and at the time, Republican legislators sort of, uh, they, you know, they raised a little bit of a stink, but they didn't take any action. And then all of a sudden, this August, uh, they decided all at once that they were going to take immediate action and in this one marathon session impeached all four justices who were then sitting on the bench. One justice had resigned. Uh, a Democrat named Menis Ketchum, he had stepped down, so the court was at four instead of five at that point. Uh, and the legislature, Republicans in the legislature said, we're going to act and impeach all of you. Uh, and the House of Delegates did exactly that, uh, at which point another justice dropped uh, and said, I'm not going to deal with this. Um, and so we have a three-member court right now, all of whom are facing impeachment charges. Um, so here's why the timing is so weird. There is a law in West Virginia that requires the governor to call a special election when a state Supreme Court justice is removed from office, uh, so long as that person's removal is a certain number of days out from the next election. Republicans waited until the last minute that they could to game this law and ensure that no special election would be called for the justices who resign uh, or who are impeached. Mm -hmm. And so they have ensured that rather than letting voters in a special election choose the replacements for all of these justices, the governor, a Republican named Jim Justice, is going to choose the replacement instead, and those replacements will serve until May 2020. So they timed this entire thing so that instead of letting voters decide who should sit on the Supreme Court, as the state constitution typically requires, they are going to allow Jim Justice to appoint all Republicans to the court and wow. not give voters a chance to undo his work until May 2020. So you could go from a 3-2 to two Democratic-leaning court to a 5-0 to zero Republican court, uh, thanks to uh, the timing here and thanks to Governor Jim Justice, who, by the way, ran and won as governor as a Democrat in 2016, only to become a Republican just after winning his election, which, by the way, is something we've had uh, uh, longtime West Virginian Bob uh, Kincaid on this show, who he had warned us years out about this Jim Justice fellow. Um, Mark, before I ask you quickly about Kavanaugh, have we seen any 
similar judicial coups like this, I mean, no matter what you uh, describe this, no matter what wrongdoing the uh, uh, at least two of these five uh, jurists did, have we seen any similar judicial coup like this at the state level anywhere else to your knowledge? To, to my mind, I, I recall the push to uh, recall the entire Iowa state Supreme Court after they decided in favor of marriage equality, I think, uh, although that was put to the voters to decide. But is, is, is there any other example of something like this? So the Iowa case is a, is a strong precedent because you're absolutely right. It was manufactured by Republicans really to pull liberals off the court. Uh, and also, if we go back to the 1980s, you may be aware of the Rose Bird kerfuffle uh, in which California Republicans um, persuaded voters to yank three justices, including Chief Justice Rose Bird, off of the California State Supreme Court, ostensibly because they opposed the death penalty, but really because they were ruling against corporations. Um, and another more recent example that got almost no attention in the press is that Arizona Republicans packed their court very recently. They added two seats to their court, two seats that the Republican governor was able to fill for no real reason except that they wanted more Republicans on their state Supreme Court. Um, so there is definitely a track record here, a history of Republicans fussing with uh, their, their courts. Um, and this will certainly not be the last occasion because uh, in Florida, uh, Governor Rick Scott and Republicans are currently engaging in a scheme that would allow him to uh, replace three justices on the Florida Supreme Court uh, with conservatives on literally his last day in office. Mm. Um, so there is gamesmanship here that goes way back, and it is going to be with us way into the future. Uh, and I think the best advice that I can give is that voters need to pay attention to this stuff. This is important. Whether or not voters themselves elect state Supreme Court justices or, or if they elect the, uh, you know, the office holders who choose them, they have power over this, and they need to keep it in mind when they're casting ballots. Because otherwise, Republicans are just going to assume that nobody's paying attention and do whatever the hell they want. Well, let me just say this. Uh, I think, uh, to some extent, good. It's good that we have a long track record of uh, Republicans gaming the courts and trying to pack them. Because though we don't have time to get into it today, I'm afraid I I, uh, I will soon be coming out uh, in full for uh, packing the U.S. Supreme Court uh, with at least two more seats once Democrats take control uh, of the uh, both houses of Congress and the White House uh, in order to uh, undo the damage that the Republicans did by stealing the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. So the fact that there's Republican precedent for this that can be cited, I actually now feel like, OK, I'm in favor of that. But very quickly, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that <laughs> down the road, Mark, but uh, very quickly, uh, the, the confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, uh, speaking of stolen Supreme Courts, those are set to begin next week, I believe, in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, chaired by Iowa Republican Chuck Grassley. Democrats uh, are currently with, have a one-seat minority in the U.S. Senate following the passing of John McCain. They have called on Grassley to delay hearings until they get all of the voluminous materials from Kavanaugh's tenure as a George W. Bush staffer. 
And uh, and since then, uh, now Democrats have called on the confirmation hearings to be delayed entirely until Mueller's special counsel investigation is complete under the argument that Trump should not be able to appoint a jurist who would be the swing vote, essentially, on any decision that the Supreme Court might have to make regarding the that uh, probe and its uh, constitutionality, etc. So with all of that in mind, Mark, do you see any real possibility that Kavanaugh's hearings and or his seating will actually be d- delayed at all until at least after the November 6th midterm election at this point? Look, I obviously think that they should be. Um, and it's wild the Republicans have pretended as if all of this controversy and chaos involving Trump uh, does not trickle down to the man he has nominated to a lifetime appointment in the swing seat of the most powerful court in the world. But I do not have any realistic hope that Republicans will change their tune. And unless Democrats can figure out some brilliant gamesmanship to try to delay these hearings, I just don't see how they have any power to pull the levers that would put, them, put the hearings off for another few weeks or months. It seems like they have no more cards left to play. Uh, and so presuming the hearings do happen next week, I just hope they go as hard as they can on Kavanaugh talking about these issues with him, forcing him on the record, because they may well come before the court, and he owes us an explanation to explain why he thinks it's perfectly valid and legitimate and acceptable to be nominated by a racist and openly corrupted president to the Supreme Court. Uh, and and or at least vow to recuse himself from anything that has to do with that uh, Absolutely. president. Um, but. You know, I'm 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 still of the mind that if Democrats uh, can't somehow slow this down, they need to walk out. They would still probably lose, but they should walk out, try to withhold a quorum. Uh, they might lose that fight, but I think it would bring a lot of attention to uh, to this judicial coup that the Republicans continue to pull off. Mark Joseph Stern, uh, great catching up with you, sir, after a, uh, a, a too long break over the summer. We won't make it that long next time. You can follow, you can and should follow his work over at Slate.com for more such clarity in these cases. You can also follow him on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Mark, thank you, my friend. Thank you as always. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. I hope so. Okay, quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and our latest Green News report. A lot to cover in uh, in that report, as usual. We will do that right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks.
Tell you what, Desi Doyen, it's good to have Mark Joseph Stern back. That's yes. all I'm saying. Yes, I, I certainly him. did miss him. Uh, it's only been a month or two, but I missed him. Uh, yeah, you know, and one thing yeah. that really jumped out at me that he said in yeah. there in the midst of all of that yeah. was that, you know, it really does matter who is in your state legislature and voters really do have to pay attention because these judges and these state legislatures, they set laws that really affect your life. I can only hope that uh, one of the good things, we'll call it a good thing, that may have happened from Donald Trump's election is that people started start paying closer attention, attention to elections and to election officials. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Usually it's a partisan thing. Once they get their people back in office, then partisans all think everything's fine. And so I don't know. We'll yeah. see. We'll have to basically just commit to continuing to pay attention from here on out. Oh, I have been committed long ago. I Perhaps know. I should have been committed long ago, but that's a separate question. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Torrential rain has been relentless for nearly five days, dousing the Big Island with more than 51 inches. Hawaii dodges a direct hit from record-breaking Hurricane Lane, but receives a warning about global warming. Australia's conservative prime minister ousted over climate policies, plus... Facts of global warming demand our urgent attention, especially in Washington. The complicated climate legacy of Senator John McCain. All of those complications and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. In the years ahead... We're likely to see reduced water supplies, more forest fires, changes in crop production, more heat waves, and a greater intensity in storms. Wow, John McCain, 10 years ago. Too bad his colleagues didn't pay attention. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I think we have good news, sort of, concerning Hurricane Lane and Hawaii. Well, it's good news and maybe a little bad news as well. Hawaii did dodge a direct hit over the weekend from now Tropical Storm Lane, which is now tracking back out to sea after skirting the islands and dumping historic levels of rain that triggered widespread flooding across the island chain. Many high water rescues, but thankfully no reported deaths. Lane delivered more than 51 inches of of rain. That is more than four feet, mm. catapulting it into the record books as the third highest rainfall total for a tropical storm or hurricane in the United States since record keeping began nearly 70 years ago. Wow. And it hit one year to the day after Hurricane Harvey broke the all time high rainfall record for the U.S. Well, the hits keep on coming. Yes. Having two of the top three all time most extreme rainstorms from hurricanes occurring in just the past two years is consistent with what scientists expect from a warming climate. Hurricane Lane also brought a warning for Hawaii. Lane was only the second Category 5 storm in recorded history to pass so near to the state, but a recent study from MIT and the University of Colorado Boulder projects that due to global warming increasing ocean temperatures, the most intense tropical storms near Hawaii are now predicted to increase in frequency by about 15% per decade. But the research 
Researchers also said, quote, we can cut that increase roughly in half by reducing our fossil fuel emissions. But as long as we don't reduce our fossil fuel emissions, the oceans will continue to warm, these storms will continue to get more frequent and, most notably, more intense. Indeed they will. Reducing emissions will not be happening anytime soon in Australia. Sorry, mate. That's the world's biggest coal exporter. Conservative Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was ousted from office on Friday by his right-wing climate science denier members of his own party after he attempted to set modest targets for reducing the nation's carbon emissions. Well, that'll teach him. Former Liberal Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd in a scathing editorial in the Sydney Morning Herald, however, also blamed Australian media, specifically Rupert Murdoch, owner of Sky News in the UK and Australia, and Fox News Channel here in the US. He accused Rupert Murdoch of using his control of Australian media to drum Turnbull out of office and block any action on climate change, calling Murdoch, quote, a cancer eating at the heart of Australian democracy. So it's not just Americans being played for suckers by Rupert Murdoch. Nope. Australia is also fighting an outbreak of winter wildfires, and the province of New South Wales, which supplies a quarter of Australia's agricultural output, is officially in 100% drought amid the deepest drought in more than 50 years. So all of these things, worsening storms, worsening wildfires, worsening droughts, were all things that John McCain, the 2008 Republican presidential candidate, warned us about 10 years ago before forgetting all about it. Exactly. That brings us to Republican Senator John McCain of Arizona, who passed away over the weekend. Whatever you think of his complicated legacy, we just want to note for the record that Senator McCain was the last Republican leader to push for U.S. action on climate change. In 2003 and 2005, McCain sponsored groundbreaking national cap-and-trade legislation. In 2008, as the Republican presidential nominee, McCain laid out a detailed cap-and-trade policy to curb carbon emissions and fight climate change. The facts of global warming demand our urgent attention, especially in Washington. Good stewardship, prudence and simple common sense demand demand that we act to meet the challenge and act quickly. However, after he lost the 2008 election to President Barack Obama, McCain abandoned his climate leadership role and in 2010 refused to support new cap-and-trade climate legislation in the Senate. So, literally, 2008 was the last time the Republican Party supported any real action to curb climate change. Even John McCain's vice presidential nominee, Sarah Palin, Wanted to do something about climate change as well. How quickly things change. Those were the days. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance oh, Thank you, Desi very much. Uh, greatly appreciate the report. And by the way, um, we already have to update one element of that report. You had uh, said it was the third uh, highest rainfall in U.S. history. Yes. So it would be in called Hawaii the- uh, Hurricane Lane. 
Right. Hurricane Lane was originally, when we first uh, recorded this, mm-hmm. was the third highest rainfall total from a tropical storm or hurricane in the United States recorded history. That has already been upgraded since we did this. Of course. Yeah, the National Weather Service in Honolulu now says that it was the second highest rainfall total in the United States mm-hmm. just one year after Hurricane Harvey broke the number one spot for the highest rainfall total. So that's two highest rainfall rainfall total records in 12 months within one year yeah so yeah i guess uh john mccain had it right back when he uh in 2008 back when he made all of those warnings about droughts and fires and uh increased rainfall and all of that yes uh we everyone should have listened to him at the time and he should have listened to him at the time (laughs) because he then spent the subsequent uh whatever it was uh, 10 years uh, thereafter not giving a damn about climate change anymore. It just means we have to accelerate the action that we do take when we have the political will and power to take it. And when will that be? Hopefully soon. (laughs) By the way, uh, speaking of soon, uh, coming up on our 900th episode of the Green News Report, 900, I think, uh, at some point next week. So if you uh, have not yet contributed to our work here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and or have not yet signed up for a subscription, please consider doing so. If not for me, then for Desi Doyen in (laughs) celebration of our 900th episode of the Green News Report, please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support our work there, uh, to support Desi's work. 900 episodes of the Green News Report. She deserves something out of all of this. (laughs) The least that you can do. Uh, And if you sign up for a subscription, please don't make us go to a subscription only model. Uh, you sign up for a subscription of any amount you like there, uh, but it, the broadcast is still free to everyone. We don't want to go subscription only, uh, but we really do rely on you to stay on our public airwaves, and a subscription is the best way uh, for you to do that. And, you know, also it helps yeah. us provide this uh, programming to independent stations across the country. So yeah. it's not just the station you're listening to. It's not just the app you're listening to. It's people everywhere. Literally. We try to help as much as we can. We do. And you're helping to get that word out by stopping by bradblog.com donate. Really. Uh, okay, uh, one more uh, point here. Uh, Hawaii and Hurricane Lane had huge rainfall, but so far no deaths reported from that storm, thankfully. Uh, Puerto Rico has now officially updated their uh, death toll in Hurricane Maria to just under 3,000. They had spent the last year saying it was, oh, no more than 64 killed in that storm. Turns out Closer to 3,000 killed in Hurricane Maria, a number a lot closer to the uh, to the number killed in Hurricane Katrina under George W. Bush. Other than that, Donald Trump, yes, as you said, you get an A-plus for your effort. And uh, the federal government response to that storm in Puerto Rico. All right, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to uh, all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us, to my guest today, Slate's Mark Joseph Stern. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free, along with all of our other programs at bradblog.com. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. 
Find us, follow us, and share us there. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.